Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. It's so great to see all of you this morning. It is my great and true honor to be able to open up God's Word with you this morning. A special welcome to West Campus and South Campus and Converge and The Hive and Granberry and those of you that are joining us on the internet, welcome. We are glad that you are here as well. You know, change, change is inevitable. Uh, Some people hate change. However, we all will face change one way or the other. Uh, One change in my own life is I've realized that I'm uh, getting a little older. So being a little older, I decided to look up on the internet, how do you know when you're getting old? So here's what I've learned uh, from uh, my internet search on how do you know that you're getting old. You know you're getting old when you try to straighten out the wrinkles in your socks and discover that you aren't wearing any. (laughs) This next one's my favorite. You know that you're getting old when your pacemaker makes the garage door goes up when somebody mentions ice cream. You know you're getting old when you can remember the Dead Sea when it was only sick. (laughs) And I added this one, you know you're getting old when you start looking up when you're getting old jokes on the internet. That's when you know that you're getting old. You know, change is inevitable. We have natural changes that happen in our life. Just as we age, our children, our grandchildren continue to grow up and graduate from high school or college and go go off to work as we grow older, we begin to navigate certain health challenges that we all have. Uh, Loved ones pass away, we move from house to house, we transition from job to job or ministry to ministry. Relationships are naturally going to change as time goes on. That's just kind of a relationships evolve as life evolves. And so we begin to see those types of things. Change is inevitable. You know, some changes we experience are the result of things that we have no control over. Uh, For example, natural disasters are going to bring on a a bunch of changes in a short, very period of time. Uh, Mechanical things are going to rot. Pests are going to continue to eat your house. Inflation's going to impact your monthly monthly budget. I mean, there's a lot of things that are outside influences that are going to influence change in our life as well. It's truly been said, I think, that the only ones that really appreciate any change at all are the children in our nursery uh, when they get changed. (laughs) And we all know that change sometimes happens because of choices that we make in life. Uh, Catherine the Great, the Russian empress, she described the changing times in the 18th century. She said, you know, a great wind is blowing And that either gives you imagination or a headache. You know, change can be seen as either a friend or as a foe. It can either result in growth or prolonged grief. It really, the difference is really how we choose to respond to the change that is happening in our life. Change is going to change your relationship with God. Let me say that again. Change will change your relationship with God. 
Change will either draw you closer to God and cause growth, or change is going to push you away from God because of the choices that you make. The change that we're going to read about today in Scripture was really as a a result of natural growing pains that were happening in the early church. They were experiencing some change. The church in Jerusalem was growing. They were changing. They were going to try to navigate some of that change just through the natural processes of there. But also with that change came that opportunity for growth. And we're going to see that as they, as they grow through it. How do we navigate change? Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. It's on page 914 in your pew Bible. 914 in your pew Bible. Remember that the book of Acts, just as an overview, the book of Acts is that theological and geographical transformation of the gospel message from Jew to Gentile, from Jerusalem to Rome, by the power and under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was causing that transformation of the gospel. In chapter 5, Peter and the apostles were arrested by the Jewish council for preaching the gospel. And they were told not to teach in this name in, in verse 528. But Peter and the apostles said, no, we, we must obey God rather than men. Well, the council eventually beats them and charges them not to speak in the name of Jesus. But at the end of chapter 5, in verse 41, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Christ is Jesus. And they were teaching and they were preaching that. And people were coming and the church was growing. Now they ran into a little bit of growing pains. Look at what happens in chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What they said in verse 5 pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And they sat before the apostles and prayed and laid their hands on them. Now look at what happens in verse 7. The word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Change is inevitable. How do we navigate that change? Well, in verse 1, when navigating change, 
communicate and don't just grumble about it. Speak up. Uh, a problem had surfaced, obviously, here between the Hellenist Jews and the natives Hebrews. Now, the disciples, when the disciples were increasing, that's all of the believers there in Jerusalem, there, there was a complaint. And there was, all of the believers there were Jewish, but there were two different groups of Jews at that time. Major group, which were the Hebrews, and a minor group, which were the Hellenists. The Hellenists were no less Hebrew than the Hebrews. It's just that the Hellenists had adopted many of the customs from their Gentile neighbors and assimilated them into their, into their communities. Great Greek was what they were speaking. They were Greek speakers. The Hellenists had rejected a lot of the pagan gods and worshiped God exclusively. They came to the temple for sacrifices and the festivals. They tried to obey the law of Moses. So they were doing all of the right things that Jews would normally do. But even so, they, <clears throat> they dressed like Gentiles. They socialized with Gentiles. They embraced the Roman government as their own. And they were known as Hellenists because of the different culture that they had kind of adapted. And primarily because they were speaking Greek. The Hebrews, on the other side, were more traditionally Jewish in their manner and their customs. They followed the law of Moses. They followed the law of a lot of their teaching rabbis. And the rabbis sometimes became pretty strict in the way that they, they conducted their life. I mean, they dictated how they were going to dress. They dictated the way that they were going to eat. They dictated how they were going to conduct business. They dictated how they were going to socialize with other, other Jews. Uh, some of the teachings were pretty strict. So whereas the Hellenists had really tried to accommodate Greek culture and spoke the Greek land, language without really losing their Hebrew identity, the Hebrews really tried to insulate themselves from that culture. They, they were pretty naturalistic, and consequently, they spoke primarily Hebrew or Aramaic. Now, two vastly different groups, but what brought them together was that common bond and union that was in Jesus Christ. Well, the Hellenists felt that the, their widows were not getting a fair treatment. Now, in those days, a lot of destitute people had joined the church. And through the generosity that we saw back in chapter 4 from people like Barnabas, Barnabas had raised up a lot of money to be able to feed a lot of these people. The Hellenists felt that their widows were not getting a fair treatment. Widows were really the destitute of the destitute. A widow in that culture was, had no rights. In fact, uh, a woman left without a man in that culture could not expect really to live very long. Uh, unfortunately, uh, many died from hunger, exposure, assault. Uh, but fortunately, the widows fared a lot better in the Hebrew culture and in the Hebrew gatherings primarily because they, 
The Hebrew culture valued kindness to the widow and to the orphan, which they saw as a, a service to God. And so a lot of widows would come to the, to the church. Hellenists, though, complained that some of them were being overlooked in the distribution of food. Now, I don't think that this problem surfaced uh, as a result of some sort of ethnic malice that was between the two groups at all. I think it was primarily as a result of administrative organization, lack of communication between the groups. They, they just didn't know. Change is inevitable. There's a complaint. They spoke up. They communicated. You know, when change comes into your life, communicate, speak up. Don't just grumble about it. Uh, the Hellenists could have just sat there, but they brought it before the elders, and the elders took it seriously. They said, hey, this is a val valuable complaint here. Uh, ministry to people is, is at stake. We really want these widows to be fed and receive their fair distribution of food. You know, if you have an issue, speak up. It doesn't mean that you need to be obnoxious or offensive. I don't think they were obnoxious or offensive. They weren't ugly. You can be gracious. You can be kind. You can speak the word, word in truth and love. And I think that they came forward and they said, hey, we think we're, our, our widows are being overlooked. And I'm going to expand this a little bit from the text here into some common types of things. You know, if you're going through change right now in a variety of different ways, you know, if you're struggling with grief or loneliness or depression or anxiety or, or some sort of mental or emotional struggle or maybe even some physical issues, speak up, talk to someone. Talk to someone. Communicate what's going on in your life. You know, you, if you just let it simmer and you don't say anything, your walk with God is going to be hindered. Let someone else know. It's just wise to be able to do that. When changes come up in your life, communicate, speak up. But notice also when navigating change, secondly, enlist the help of others. And that's what they did. The apostles addressed the problem by appointing specific individuals that were going to take care of the distribution of food. The apostles couldn't be everywhere at once. They couldn't do everything. They realized that they, the complaint was legitimate, and so they needed people of godly character to be able to step in to meet the legitimate needs of these individuals of the church and not lose their focus. And they said in verse 2, <coughs> the 12 summoned the full number, and they said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve table. When they say it's not right, they're talking about priorities here, <clears throat> not right as far as moral right and wrong, but right as far as priorities. We need to keep our priorities straight. We need to pray and teach the Word. It's not appropriate for us to neglect the preaching and teaching of the Word to be able to do this. So let us appoint some other individuals. 
And so they appointed some individuals and they noted the qualifications of those that needed to be selected. They said that there needed to be seven men. They needed to be of good reputation. They needed to be full of the spirit and of wisdom. And they would be given the task specifically over food distribution. They said, pick out from of you seven men. Choose, select, observe by inspection. It's not just, hey, the first seven who volunteered or the first seven who decided they had some interest in some spare time. No, they said, make sure that they meet the qualifications. They were to be of good repute. They were to have a good reputation. They were to be full of the Spirit, meaning they were directed by God's Spirit to be able to give them wisdom and insight, to be able to make good judgments, have that sign of spiritual maturity. And overall, you say, hey, this is a pretty ingenious plan by the 12, because the Hellenists brought the, the complaint to the Hebrews. All 12 were the Hebrews. The 12 were all Hebrew. And so they said, you choose, Hellenists, you choose from among yourselves seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit. You bring them. You make the choice. Now, scholars think that probably the Hellenists at that point had maybe 10 to 20% of the population of the church. But they turned, they turned that responsibility over to them and they said, you make the choice, wise move. Because now the Hellenists were actually taking, taking responsibility for their own issue. They were the ones that were going to be given the responsibility. In contrast, in verse 4, they said, you know, but once again, we need to devote ourselves to prayer. Prayer is seen at the top of the list. We need to devote ourselves to something that that's significant here in the ministry that God has called us to do, and that's prayer and the ministry of the Word. So in verses 5 and 6, seven men were chosen and confirmed by the apostles. Stephen leads the list as being full of faith and the Spirit. Descriptive term. They could see that he was walking with God, full of faith. Now, Stephen, we're going to see here in the next chapter. Philip is next. He's going to become a main character in chapter 8. And the activity, I think, of Stephen and Philip probably exemplifies the character of the rest of them. These guys surfaced as being, these are quality men. Notice we don't know anything else about the rest of them. The scripture doesn't say any more about the others, except down at Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, meaning he became a Jew prior to conversion of coming to know Christ. Just points out that, hey, this was a, this was a healthy church here. This was a healthy church. In amongst the Hellenists that were there, they were going to be able to find seven quality men to be able to do this. And the community uses its own people to solve its own problems. 
this kind of raises a question for me. If you have an issue that surfaces, are you willing to be a part of the solution yourself? You know, uh, we're pretty good at surfacing issues if somebody else takes the responsibility to solve it. But here, they raised the issue, but they were willing to take the responsibility to be able to solve the issue that was there. Under the direction of the elders, they allowed that to happen. The issue wasn't going to be glossed over or denied. They were just going to be able to manage this in a different way. You know, change is inevitable. Speak up, but reach out. Reach out. Change is not going to be able to, is not easy to navigate alone. It's always easier when you have someone else with you in that change. In this case, it was very practical help. And maybe that's what you need. But let me expand this one a little bit as well. The change that you need maybe might be another perspective. It may be just to know that you're not alone in your struggle. Someone to be able to walk with you through whatever you're experiencing. Maybe you need to know some other options on, on how to proceed. Or maybe you need really somebody else to come in to manage this the situation, whatever that is, enlist the help of others. Enlisting the help of others is just wise. It's just wise. Speak up, reach out. But third then, look at number, in verse seven. When navigating change, continue to celebrate what God is doing through the process. It says, and the word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the second progress report in the book's outline. The first progress report, remember, was back in chapter 2, verse 47. This is the second progress report of how that transformation of the gospel is continuing to move from Jerusalem to Rome, from Jew to Gentile. And we get a second progress report here. But notice the three things that were happening. The word of God was spreading. It was growing like a seed going to fruit. It was growing. The disciples were being multiplied that passive kind of passive verb kind of gives you the indication that God was the one that was causing the disciples to be multiplied. Third, there were a great many priests believing the message. And you say, oh, priest believing the message? Wow, what's with that? You know, maybe the community's response to the widows woke the priests up a bit. We don't know. Maybe they saw the gospel message becoming more convicting when the, the church gave some practical relevance of diving in. Maybe they were convicted at the resurrection of, of and the death of Jesus when the temple veil was ripped in two, but for whatever reason, the priests were responding. Change is inevitable. When a change happens, communicate, enlist the others, and celebrate. Here's the timeless truth. Change is inevitable, but growth is going to be determined by your response. Change is inevitable, but growth is going to be determined by your response. 
The same God who was faithful in the past is the same God who's going to be faithful in the future. Change will come and go, but the Lord remains the same. Change will change your relationship with God. Change will either push you away from God or draw you closer to God as a result. What changes are you facing in your life? Have a graduate that's leaving home? Natural progression of life of getting older? Changes in the budget or job situation that you're, you're facing right now? Changes in your health or changes in a relationship? Let me say that whatever change that you are facing, you will not be able to successfully face that change with, without the Lord. And if, if you haven't come to a place where you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that's where you need to go first. In fact, you know, on the back of your sermon notes, there's at the bottom, there's a little section called a wonderful offer. And if you've never really taken advantage of what Jesus Christ has done for you, that's where you need to start. And if you have questions, come and talk to us. We'd love to be able to talk to you about that. But let me give you a couple of tips whenever you're facing change. A couple of tips. One, keep your priorities straight. Keep your priorities straight. The 12, they realized what they were called to do. They realized that their call by God was to preach and to teach the word. That's where they needed to be focused. They weren't going to neglect the, the complaint of the Hellenists. They recruited others to be able to help them in the process and to solve. But keep your priorities straight. And probably the one place where things get out of whack when we start navigating change is in relationships. Relationship with our spouse, relationship with our family. That's usually where things get pushed aside. You know, I've never heard anyone on their deathbed say, gee, I wish I had worked more. Usually what they're saying is, gee, I wish I had spent more time with my family. Gee, I wish I had spent more time with the significant people in my life. Gee, I wish I had reinstituted that relationship with my kid. Gee, I wish I had reached out over here. Relationships are important. Keep your priorities straight when you're navigating change. And secondly, secondly, pray. Pray. Whatever you're taking, whatever you're facing, take it to the Lord in prayer. Notice the prayer is mentioned in verse 6 and verse 4. We will devote ourselves to prayer. Verse 6, and they prayed and laid their hands upon them. Prayer was a significant part of what was going on. And you know, not only is change sometimes beyond our control and sometimes change is, happens as an inevitable part, part of life, but there's also that change that's self-initiated. Self-initiated change is change that you bring on yourself. And you know, self-initiated change is not based upon what you could do, but self-initiated change is based upon what's right to do. It's the right thing to do. 
And that self-initiated change and coming to that conviction that this is the right thing to do flows out of your walk with God and prayer. And having that self-assurance and that conviction that this is the right thing to do, even when that thing that you are giving up is something that you really love. You love it, and yet what you are about to do is change what you really love to do. But the question then becomes a lot deeper, and this flows out of your prayer life. The questions then become, with this bigger picture in mind, where am I really deriving my significance and value? Am I deriving my significance and value from things that I do? Or am I really deriving my significance and value from my relationship with Jesus Christ? And once you have that conviction that you're drawing all of your significance from him and not from something else, you have that assurance that that self-initiated change that you are about to do is the right thing to do. Change is inevitable. Growth is going to be determined by your response. The 12 here responded properly, and God, in verse 7, they said, yeah, the word of God continued to increase, number of disciples multiplied, and a great many of the priests were even coming to know the Lord. And you go, yeah. How are you going to respond to change that happens in your life? My prayer is that you would do and you would respond to whatever change that's happening in your life in a godly and a biblical way. Glorifying God in everything that you do because change is going to change your relationship with God. May the change that you're experiencing in your life draw you closer to him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the relevance of your word in our life. I pray, Lord, for those of us this morning that are either going through change personally or know someone that is experiencing change in their life, that's really all of us, that we would respond in a godly and a biblical way, that we would communicate graciously, that we would enlist the help of others, and above all, that we would continue to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for everything that's going on. Father, use the change in our lives to mold us and shape us and conform us to your image. May we respond in the way that you would want. We just submit ourselves into your care. Pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.